opening verses. It was just before the Passover feast, and Jesus knew that the time had come. His whole life and ministry on earth had been building up to this point. Jesus knew that ahead of him lay the torment of Gethsemane, the agony of Golgotha. He knew that the intimacy and love that he'd shared from the beginning with God the Father and the Holy Spirit would be severed as he took upon himself the sins of the world. He knew he would feel utterly forsaken by God. But he also knew he trusted that he wouldn't be forsaken, that he'd rise again. The events that lay ahead were going to form a ladder that would take him from this world back to the Father's world. They were the way that the Son of God must take to go home. Jesus knew who he was. He knew where he'd come from. He knew where he was going. And he knew what he was here for. He was entirely secure in his sense of identity and purpose. So what did he do? Well, let's pick up the story from verse 3. We're in John chapter 13. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, that he'd come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Washing feet was one of the most menial tasks, usually done by a lowly servant. So what was Jesus doing with the bowl and the towel? Well, John tells us that he was showing his disciples the full extent of his love. The foot washing was a concrete symbol of self-giving love. It foreshadowed what was going to happen on the cross the next day. And what was it that made Jesus able to humble himself and to love in such a costly way? Well, I believe there's a little clue in the word at the beginning of verse 4, but let's have verse 3 again first. This is mind-blowing. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, that he'd come from God and was returning to God. So. That little word, so, says so much. So he got up and he got down on his knees. Jesus' experience of life within the Godhead was one of mutuality, love and support. He knew that he was loved. He knew that he was right at the centre of his Father's will. So he was free to give himself in love for others. And it's not so very different for us. Our ability to love is often shaped by our experience of being loved. But it's hard for us to know in our hearts the full extent of God's love until we really grasp the fact that he does know and love us completely. And that's where this chapter's got more good news for us. You see, as well as knowing about himself, Jesus also knew about the others. He knew that Judas was going to betray him Later on in the chapter, we hear that he knew that Peter would deny him. But it didn't hold him back from loving them, from showing them the full extent of his love in this symbolic act of washing their feet. 
He loved them in spite of their failures, just as he loves us in spite of ours. There's nothing we can ever do that will stop God loving us. After all, Paul tells us it was while we were still sinners that Christ died for us. So like Jesus, we can be totally secure in God's love and completely free to give ourselves in love and service to others, just as he did. Easy? Well, perhaps not quite as easy as it sounds, is it? You see, we can know on one level that we're completely loved and accepted by God, but it doesn't always penetrate to this level, does it? So what can we do that will help us to build that sense of security and identity that God so much wants for us? Well, I think the answer lies in the second part of the story and in what was going on for Peter. Why was it that he was so reluctant to let Jesus wash his feet? I wonder how many here have ever had their feet washed. Just take your hand up if you have. A few of us. Yeah. It's a strange experience, isn't it? I mean, it's really quite a mundane thing. But at the same time, it's a very personal and intimate action. And certainly for me when it's happened, it's made me feel quite vulnerable, maybe even a bit defenceless. After all, our feet, and certainly my feet, aren't always our most attractive feature. They get dirty and smelly. And if we're honest, we'd probably prefer not to let too many people get near But if we're going to grow in our ability to receive love, to know ourselves to be truly loved and accepted, then we need to begin to allow ourselves and God and even other people to see the not-so-nice bits of us. I'm sure many of us were brought up with the expression, it's more blessed to give than to receive. And I wouldn't want to quibble with that. After all, it was Jesus who said it. But I do, no, I wouldn't want to quibble with it. But I do think there's another dimension to it that's true for many of us, and that is it's more difficult to receive than to give. I remember something that happened many years ago when I was doing the network counselling introduction course. At the end, I submitted my journal and was given some feedback. The tutor gently reflected her observation that maybe I was the sort of person who found it hard to receive. So I protected myself by doing a lot of giving. I'd never seen this in myself before, but the more I sat with her insight, the more I could see the truth in it. And it was an uncomfortable experience. But remember what Jesus said, when you know the truth, the truth will set you free. Understanding what's going on is the first step towards change. So I wonder why it is that some of us do find it hard to receive. Well, I guess there are lots of different reasons. Sometimes it may be about losing control or not wanting to impose ourselves on others. Or maybe for some, we've just never learned how to do it. Somebody pays us a compliment and we bat it away. We don't know how to receive it. However, for me, there was one particular insight that helped me to see why I found it hard to receive. 
It came to me as I was driving down Filton Avenue one morning. God had brought into my life a, a special person who was sort of washing my feet. Week by week, she listened to me unpack and explore my inner world. And gradually, I opened up some of the more smelly, dirty bits of myself. I found that they were tenderly held and gently washed. It was a whole new experience to have someone set aside time specially for me, and I felt enormously privileged, but also incredibly vulnerable. What if I asked too much of her? What if she gave up on me? Rationally, I knew I was being daft. I knew I'd stuck with people through far worse. So why did I feel so vulnerable and scared? Why did I think she might give up on me? And then I was, as I was driving down Filton Avenue that day, I heard this little voice deep inside say, because I don't think I'm worth it. I felt physically winded and I nearly had to stop the car. It was another of those penetrating yet life-giving insights. Little by little, as I began to take down some of my defences, as I dared to believe that maybe I am worth loving after all, I began to feel so much better about myself. And as I became more self-accepting and self-loving, so I found I could become more self-forgetful. I was no longer so preoccupied with my deep-down feelings of inadequacy. I was free to be able to look at other people's needs, to wash their feet as Jesus commanded. But it had only happened because I'd allowed other people to come close and to wash my feet. I don't know, but I wonder whether the same thing was true for Peter. Maybe he didn't feel he was worth it. This just wasn't something that Jesus should be doing for him. But that's the heart of the gospel, isn't it? Us saying yes to Jesus. You can wash my feet. And I think this story of foot washing has something terribly important to say to us about what it means to be human. God wants us to be free in ourselves, free both to serve and to be served, free both to give and to receive love. The same Jesus who knelt and washed his disciples' feet is the one who just a few days earlier had had his own feet anointed with perfume and lovingly wiped with the hair of his friend Mary. Jesus was as willing and able to be served as he was to serve. God, who is love and who loves in perfect freedom, reveals the full extent of his love in Jesus. He sets us as an example as he washed the disciples' feet and he encourages us to have that same attitude of self-giving love. Verse 14, now then he says, Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Now that you've done these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. So how do we do it? What does it mean for us to wash each other's feet in the nitty-gritty of everyday life? It means helping someone 
even when it's not convenient. It means giving, even when it hurts. It means listening to someone's hurt and pain. It means absorbing someone's anger without complaining. It means mucking in and doing the boring, menial jobs. It's the kind of living, the kind of loving that's hard to do. It's costly stuff, and we can't do it in our own strength. But we're not on our own. Jesus gives us his own love to love with. He invites us to share in the privilege of this foot-washing ministry. And people notice when we live in this kind of way. All men will know that you're my disciples if you love one another, Jesus went on to say. Love is all about focusing on the needs of the other person. So as well as having the humility to serve, we must also have the humility to be served. We need to watch the danger of self-sufficiency. If we say no thank you to someone's offer of help too quickly, then we may be denying them an important opportunity to show their love and denying ourselves the joy of being loved. And at the end of the day, isn't that what we need most of all, to know that we're loved? Many of you will remember Michael Burke, a dear member of the St. Michael's Church family who died recently. He was a real giver, and this was demonstrated by the number and range of people who came along to his funeral So many people whose lives have been blessed by knowing him. But in the week before Michael died, quite unexpectedly, something special had been going on for him. Michael and his wife Sheila had come back from a trip in Canada visiting family. And whilst they were there, Sheila had had a fall. It meant that they arrived home needing practical help and support. And it wasn't difficult to find people who were only too glad to pitch in and help. But for Michael, this was unfamiliar territory. Usually, he'd been the one giving help. He was overwhelmed by the many expressions of love that were given. And he knew in his heart, perhaps more than he'd ever known before, that he was loved. It was so very moving to hear him give thanks to God when he prayed at daily prayer just a day or two before he died. It's something that I don't think I'll ever forget. It was so special. Just as Jesus's eternal experience within the Godhead is one of mutuality, love and support, so God wants to open up for us that same experience of mutuality, connectedness, of belonging together. And as we take the risk of loving and of being loved, of daring to believe that we've got something to give and that we're worth being given to, so our own sense of security and identity will be strengthened within. And like Jesus, we'll be able to get on with living the life for which we've been created. The message of both the foot washing and the cross is all about Jesus saying, you are worth it. I love you this much. It'll take a lifetime for us to be able to open our hearts to understand and receive the fullness of God's love. But maybe we could make it our prayer at the start of this new year that Jesus will 
reveal to each of us just a little more of the full extent of his love. Why don't we stand and pray together and if the band want to head back up, that would be great.